Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Worst. Hello everyone, welcome back to self Worst. We've been away for a while um, I don't know if you've heard, but some stuff's been happening um, So we've taken a little bit of break of a break from production. Um, but, uh, we're starting to record some remote episodes. Um, we're doing the quarantine thing, doing the social distancing thing. Um, hope all of you are as well. Hope everybody's, uh, staying safe and healthy. Um, hope everybody is, uh, maintaining a six foot buffer and only going out when they need to, um, washing your hands, all of that good stuff. This week's episode uh, is with Arthi Galapudi. Uh, she's been doing comedy for several years here in New York and uh, makes zines as well. Uh, and uh, is a really smart, emotionally intelligent person. Um, she, we met because um, she was actually um, around for Buddy's last days. Uh, Buddy, our, our, uh, beloved uh co-host r.i.p um and was helping was helping take care of him through the last days um when he was when he was on his way out and uh so we met uh you know under not the happiest uh circumstances and uh you know we're we're still uh, talking under not the greatest uh worldwide circumstances um, but this was a good conversation. So, uh, I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot of input about, uh, what we've been doing. We've been staying sane, uh, Caitlin and I and Dottie. Um, we have a routine. We try and get up in the morning and do some exercise. Uh, we've been cooking. We've been, uh, watching a lot of King of the Hill and a lot of X-Files. That's sort of the, the, the tear we've been on lately um you know and 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 i'm trying to not pressure myself to um have too much of a creative output right now um this should be a good opportunity to do so um but lately i just haven't had that juice in me um to 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 do this um and i think that that's okay and I think that if you're a creative person and uh, you're not, um, you know, you're not being the productive uh, mastermind, you're not doing, you know, whatever, like Shakespeare uh, writing King Lear while in quarantine, um, that's okay to um, allow yourself to be a human first and, um, and live this a day at a time and uh, be grateful, uh, have gratitude for you know, uh, I don't know, daily gratitude. Daily gratitude is another thing that we've been, uh, trying to work on, um, every day that I wake up healthy and, um, that's, that's something to be grateful for. Um, and everything else that happens that day, if I, uh, if I do record a podcast, if I don't, you know, that's, that's all just, um, that's icing and, um, you know, be easy on yourself and uh if working on something is helping you get through 
um, and is taking your mind off of all of this, uh, that's great and keep doing it. Um, but if you're, if you feel pressure to, uh, to be productive during all of this, I don't know, fuck all of that. This is, you know, we're in a crisis and, um, it's okay to, uh, feel whatever you're feeling right now during it. Um, so anyway, uh, that's my message to all of you. Um, hope you're well. And uh, let's go to our uh, conversation with Arthi. How's the, I mean, you know, I, I feel like we can't really talk about, uh, you know, anything uh, without addressing the, the whole uh, lockdown thing first, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty strange. So I live alone really far south Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So I'm on like day... 16 I don't even know what day but yeah so I'm like been I haven't like really seen anyone in real life in like a while so it's pretty it's been a pretty crazy experience but I'm also uh kind of grateful I don't have another person here because I like become kind of insufferable when I'm (laughs) inside for too long so yeah it's kind of hard to say what is actually a better situation like having roommates because that actually puts you at higher risk puts them at higher risk um but then if you're just sitting alone completely by yourself i mean you're you're bound to go a little crazy exactly yeah definitely what have you been how have you been occupying your time um i have so i have a lot of books um i got laid off from my bookstore job but i like have a lot of books from that i used to work at a different bookstore before that so i have like a fuck ton of books um i have i have like a friend's criterion collection password so i've been kind of like ripping through some stuff over there um and then i also like my apartment because i live alone and because i i do tend to stay at home a lot in general even without this happening i have a lot of like crap like I found like a bunch of acrylic paints I used to do a couple years ago and I have some coloring books. Um, I like found my like props from like prop comedy stuff I used to do like five years ago. <laughs> so Wait, you were uh, a prop comic? I used to use a lot of props. Yeah, I used to use a lot of props. Um, Tell me about and that. Also, it's, it's also like I would like film a video and then I would buy the stuff for the video and then be like, well, maybe I'll use it one day. And so I have like a dinosaur mask and like a clown costume and I've like only used it once. And now I'm kind of like trying to be like, maybe I can write something or do something with these. So I'm, I have an apartment full of activities and I also sit on my fire escape a lot. Um, Cause I have like my herb garden out there and stuff. So I'm very lucky. I, I, definitely live far away and alone but it's 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 like a really i have a lot of things that keep me occupied what's the uh the general like vibe in your neighborhood um it's so i live in bay ridge and bay ridge is an interesting space um at least in my experience being here for over three years now um it's that like once you get a little bit south bay ridge it's like basically almost Staten Island. Like I can see the bridge to Staten Island from my window. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of people really were still hanging out around like up until last week. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it, 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 but, but Bay Ridge is mostly families and there's a lot of older people that live here too. And like my whole building, um, is like mainly like families and old people. So like majority. So, uh, it's definitely not like a cool place to live, right. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, it is, it, it was interesting to see, um, who was still going out and hanging around, uh, the neighborhood up like literally on like St. Patrick's day when they were like starting to close down like everything, like people were, there was like one bar that was still open that like really shouldn't have been open at that point. Yeah. I feel like by, by that weekend, I, I think it was uh, pretty clear that this is what we were doing. Yeah. yeah. I, I think people are uh, hopefully are still kind of getting the message, you know, and, and, and starting to take this more seriously. Um, it, it, it seems like it's maybe slowly setting in on, on people who it wasn't before. You know that that this is uh this is real and 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 we need to stay inside for sure have you been able to uh go out at all i mean groceries and stuff like that yeah and so i have like a very funny setup because i feel like i've seen people's studio apartments that are like similar to mine but they have like a smaller fridge like i have like a full size fridge which is crazy because i don't i don't eat huge meals so all i did was fill that fridge up with food and I've just been kind of eating through it the past like three weeks. Nice. So I haven't had to do a ton of groceries. I'm also not very picky eater and I'm a horrible cook. So I'm like this, like, this is it. Like, (laughs) yeah, uh, I'm perfectly fine eating like any sort of canned food and frozen food. Like I, I, you know, the most I'll do for nutrition is like, I make a lot of smoothies and I just buy a bunch of frozen fruit. So like my freezer is mainly like frozen fruit and frozen broccoli. Yeah. (laughs) Fresh produce is kind of the tricky part. It's really Um, tricky because when you're cooking for one, you can't have that much fresh produce. That's true. Yeah. And I'm not used to like buying fresh produce in bulk. And I actually can't do that because if I do that, it's going to go bad. Like I'll cook like one, usually how I usually operate is I'll cook, like one big thing in my instant pot and eat it for like a week and a half and then and then go to the grocery store and then cook like another big thing in the instant pot with the fresh produce and yeah yeah that's a that's a thing you know that that i've i've noticed i live with my girlfriend and uh i've always been cool with eating pretty much the same thing every day she (laughs) can't do it so um but i'm i'm grateful because she's a she's also a really good cook so um you know according to my tum tum everything has just been uh pretty copacetic uh yeah. through this whole lockdown it doesn't know the difference that's been that's been nice um, yeah i saw on instagram that you uh stress cut your hair i did stress cut my hair. um i stress cut my hair basically i started getting worried because i don't want to keep ordering things online because it's putting all these workers at risk unless it's something urgent like you know my inhaler is something that I might have to order online because it's taking a while to get to my pharmacy. Um, but like, I don't need to like, I don't think hair product is something that's going to like make or break me, especially I'm not, I'm literally not seeing anyone. And my hair was like getting super long. It was like using a lot of shampoo and a lot of conditioner. And I was like, damn, like if this were any other time and I didn't want to buy shampoo and conditioner, I'm really good friends with the woman who cuts my hair. I would just go get it cut. And then I was texting my friends and I was like, should I cut my hair? And they all thought I was kidding. And they're like, yeah, sure. Go for it. And then I just 
cut my hair. <laughs> yeah. I stress shaved my beard off last week. Like that was a, I don't know. That was a move. I th- I, I don't know. I think people are just, are just doing that because we're not going to see anybody. And we're like, Fuck exactly. if I give myself a bad haircut now, I got like two months to grow it out before I see anyone else. Yeah, it's true. That's my project now. Like I have stubble coming in and I'm like, all right, cool progress. This is, you know, this is me, uh, you know, just counting grains of sand. Well, you can do like a photo project with it. That's true. I could do like that one guy. Uh, what was his name? Sing Say uh, or something yeah. like that. He, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he like locked himself in a cage, in like a tiger cage, and uh, did the. He just took a picture of himself every day. Yeah, and it, you know that's actually really funny. Topical too, you know, tiger yeah. cage. Oh yeah. yeah, fucking tiger king. You know, like, <laughs> I was tweeting about this earlier. I, I see the appeal of the show, but for me, like I, I'm having a hard time watching it because I don't want to just sit and stare at a bunch of like self-centered libertarian assholes who are like abusing animals and abusing their workers and like they're all sex pests and like i why do i need more of that shit when it's already like that's literally who's ruining the planet right now yeah it's it's really i wasn't gonna watch it and then so many people text me and they're like this is something that you would end up being obsessed about um and then i was i became obsessed with it because i was like we deserve a lot of the bad things we have had happening (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds about it because I'm like, yes, we we as a species collectively deserve it, but you know, those aren't the people who are suffering as a result of all of this stuff. You know, it's, exactly that's true. It's that that's worker true. who got their got their arm ripped off. You know, it's like oh that's those are the people who fucking pay the consequences. What a crazy moment! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just like, oh, just cut it off, man. Just, I don't care. Like, it was amazing. I know. That was Pretty crazy. Cool. I, was I mean, like, that's that's hardcore. I have respect for that, but very hardcore. Also, very you're hardcore. in a cult, you know. Yeah. Well, I love cultish things. I, I watch a lot of cult thing. Like, I, I watch a lot of mindset. Like a lot of like, like I loved um, Wild Wild Country. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this really good podcast. Um, you must remember this. Did like a whole series on Charles Manson. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend's really into that podcast that podcast um i i haven't really listened to it much um i one of my favorites is the dollop and they talked they talk they do a lot of cult stuff they talked about uh the the rajneesh cult um before wild wild country even came out um it was like the story is fucking insane i mean cults are yeah cults are nuts cults are nuts cults Cults are nuts nuts but i am a person that's kind of like well it must be nice to have community (laughs) I mean, the thing, the thing that makes them so effective is they give people something that they want, that they need, you know, it it gives people a sense of community and purpose and love. And that's what, that's what cults are. That's what gangs are. That's what all of it is. Yeah. Yeah. It it gives you something that society, the greater society is not giving you. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's why it's fascinating. So um, in your work, uh, you talk a lot about uh, mental health and um, and trials and tribulations with that. Um, and that's that's a hard thing to make super funny, um, but it, it, it's it's a rich it's a fertile ground uh, for you know somebody who's who's experienced that. And, and if you do it right, um, you connect with people in a much deeper level than you will with you know dick jokes and stuff about i don't know ghostbusters or or whatever (laughs) you know like what whatever like you know entry level 
comics like to talk about, you know. Um, so talk a little bit about uh, your approach to uh, making mental health uh, something that's funny, something that is that you can be vulnerable and talk about on stage. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like my point of entry into comedy was when I was like in a in a kind of dark mindset, like I was leaving um, I was leaving like a really bad relationship and I was just starting comedy and I was trying to find a way to like not and a way and a space to not be silenced. And I feel like comedy allows you to be less filtered, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's like where I came into comedy and talk about my mental health. It just like automatically happened for me pretty quickly to talk about it because I was coming from a space where I was constantly like being shamed and silenced and not feeling like appreciated. And then I just did like the radical opposite, which was to just air out all my grievance grievances on a public forum, <laughs> essentially. Um, and I don't think I did it well for a while. I don't think I really did it well until probably like three years in. So even when I like teach a stand up class and we talk about like, how do we talk about mental health? How do we talk about trauma? Like, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's a really, it's a really difficult space to enter into comedically because you still want to be sensitive about it. Um, but I do talk about it a lot, especially like now talk a lot about, uh, sexual trauma. I talk a lot about like trauma from relationships. I talk a lot about depression and grieving and also like, I've been really into just like overarchingly thinking about like failure as a means of like productivity. Um, whether that be like romantic failure or like, just eliminate, I'm really interested in like eliminating shame. And I think that has a lot to do with mental health as well. Cause like shame is like what drives depression a lot of the times, yeah. at least in my case. Um, so like now I have no problem admitting that the first few things, the first few years of me trying to talk about trauma through comedy, like wasn't very good, but for a while I had a lot of shame and like, didn't want to even look people in the eye who like saw me those first few years fail at doing what I wanted to do. But like, there's no shame in trying because if I didn't try, then I wouldn't be able to produce the actual good work that I'm able to produce now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that takes a lot of courage to get up and be that vulnerable, especially when, you know, you are in the early days and you're not that good at it. And yeah. um, you are being scrutinized by a lot of people who aren't sympathetic to uh, your own struggles who aren't empathizing with you um and who think that the whole thing is just sort of uh a joke so um you know that 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 has to be i imagine that that's super hard yeah it was it, i think it was and i also think that for me it felt hard but one thing that i realized is like pretty recently probably in the last year and a half that like people don't remember your shame as much as you remember your shame. Like nobody, like, honestly, I have like moments that I remember doing like a bad character bit and was like, these people will never book me or talk to me ever again. And then when I see these people now, like absolutely nobody remembers, like, no, why would they remember like something that wasn't that funny at a show, you know, yeah. like, cause there's millions of shows happening a year. I mean, not this year, obviously, <laughs> but right. like, but like, you know, it, it, so nobody's going to remember like the one 
not so great bit you did unless it was offensive and nothing I did was offensive. It just wasn't as well written or thought out as the stuff that I do now. And so I think the one thing that's like pulled me through and I've like, like gone through like a lot of therapy and talking to other friends and like feeling more confident about myself is being like, nobody's going to remember the wrong thing you said as much as you did. And like, it's kind of narcissistic to think that everybody's going to remember as much as you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's it, like taking a huge weight off of me to just think like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, nobody, I mean, you know, this gets uh, attributed to a lot of people, David Foster Wallace and a bunch of other uh, mm -hmm. fuckers, but like it, the, the, the quote being that you'll stop worrying what people think about you uh when you realize how seldom they do yeah you know, uh because everybody's just trying to you know is, is worried about their own shit and they're yeah. not nobody is obsessed with what you're doing really um mm -hmm. and and well if they are that's that's a whole different can of worms you know <laughs> then you, then you have like, <laughs> yeah then you have that you know the, the 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 stalker type so yeah which is a whole other problem but but yeah i mean like I think that was like, it, it also is like a whole thing where because I write books and I self-publish books, um, I've been able to be like, I can be really, really picky about my words and think things over and over again through my books. But like comedy and stand up and performing is like a space where I allow myself to be a little bit like looser and not perfect because I don't think performance has to be perfect. But I do think that I don't think books have to be perfect per se. But I think like if you say something fucked up in a book, like you you you, you have to be pretty fucked up to say something like fucked up in a book because it like goes through editors and stuff like that. Yeah. But you know what I mean. I'm well, there's more of a yeah. I feel you. There's more of a permanent record with something that you're you know saying. Uh, if you're saying it live, in theory, nobody's recording it because they're not supposed to. Um, yeah. and it'll, you know, it, it, then after that, it just becomes a game of telephone and, and, and who cares? And it all yeah. just sort of dissipates, uh, as people walk away from that experience. But if you're writing a book or if you're talking into a, you know, a, a, a microphone or recorder, then there's an actual like hard copy of what you're, uh, what you're saying in the moment. So there is a lot more pressure to, uh, to make it really count and sound right and yeah. i personally i get stuck a lot of times in making that perfect um making any art that i put out perfect or making any uh ma making my podcast as perfect as i can get it for what that's yeah. worth and it, it you know that just ends up uh that just ends up completely stifling the creative process it sucks yeah it does suck because then you get stuck in your head there's this like really good book the queer art of failure by jack halberstam halberstam i think that's their last name um but the first like literally the intro uses like uh a quote from spongebob and it's like this like queer theory academic book that i read during my grad program but it, i think it does a really good um the book itself does a really good depiction of like you you can't make like you can't make actual art without failure. Like there's no such thing as like a perfect form, um, which is was like a cool thing to read in the middle of grad school because everyone's kind of like up their butt and like quoting things that I don't know about because I was kind of stupid in grad school because I don't have an academic background. But 
Um, I I utilize that a lot when I think about like uh, being okay with like not saying the perfect thing about my mental health when I'm on stage. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just like fly off the cuff and (laughs) it's not a good habit. (laughs) I'll just be on stage and I'll just like, I don't say anything offensive, but like I, I move a lot from my feelings and from my gut. So even if I have my whole stand-up set planned out, I will be like on stage and say something like right off the top of my brain that like is kind of stupid. Uh, and I'm trying not to be so hard on myself about that. <laughs> That's I'm hard to like... do, especially when, uh, you know, you, as you said, are somebody who's sort of steeped in, in shame. Um, yeah. that sort of, you know, talk, talk a little bit more about that. Um, I, you know, cause shame is a, uh, is a deep well shame is so weird shame is like so i'm first generation uh indian right and so we're like model minority which like there's a lot of tropes about being a model minority but um i think shame is like a big thing in model minority cultures and especially from like the space that i'm from like you're expected to be like an engineer or a doctor uh, or something like super academic that like, you know, your parents moved here so you can like climb up this ladder of success. Yeah. And there's a lot of shame surrounding if you're not right. Like um, I am not a typical model minority, right? Like I have an undergrad degree in jazz singing and a master's of arts in performance studies. Right. So like I, we moved, they moved to America and they didn't want to produce a child who's doing this. Like they want me to be like my cousin who's like a, a cancer research doctor, right? They So in general, my essential being is a form of shame to my family. <laughs> and they don't actually actively think that anymore. But I do think that as I was growing up, it was kind of like a little bit off-putting. Like I wasn't hanging out with a ton of Indian kids. I like was definitely into like some like weird music and and as I grow into an adult like as much as my parents accept me like when I dyed my hair for the first time it was a big like moment of shame for my parents and when was that that, well I didn't dye my hair until well I had like one moment where I dyed like the edges of my hair blonde like probably like five years ago and then I dyed my hair bright pink like a year and a half ago and then I just kept dyeing my hair different colors the past year and a half um, but when I dyed it pink, my parents were like, okay, well, so we can't show you to our family. And, <laughs> and that's crazy because you're already like a full grown woman at that point. You're not even like living under their <laughs> roof or like. Exactly. And even like we had a family wedding and they were like, you can't come with blue hair. And I was like, well, the thing is, it's like it's someone from my generation getting married and they want me there. So I'm going to show up. And it was totally fine. But there's like shame that comes from that culture. And then there's shame for not assimilating into like white culture or like any mainstream culture there's like shame being like I had like I was like super hairy as a kid I was like very offbeat I didn't like understand what people were into like I thought certain things were very cool and would try to connect with people over them and people were like that's like not what's happening like at a big moment where I there's like sorry someone's um there was like a big moment in my childhood when I was really into Scooby-Doo and I thought Sonny and Cher was like a new band (laughs) (laughs) and and I tried to like explain to kids in my class like I discovered this cool band and they're like you're kind of an idiot and I was like yeah like I'm I'm just like miss like misstepping a little bit Mm -hmm. um 
I have like this really traumatic experience where like I memorized uh, all of the Raven by Poe and I thought I did this like amazing job and that like everyone thought I was hot shit because I was able to memorize it. So you have a little bit of a goth streak. I have a goth streak. (laughs) You're fairly colorful in your in your aesthetic, but you do have just like a little a streak of goth. There's one black streak. Definitely just moved by the Raven, like for no reason. And I remember thinking I was like hot shit and everyone was actually like, you're really weird. Like that's like not actually cool. Um, So like, I think that between like those experiences happening almost at the same time, like family shame and like shame at school and middle school, um, it, it it was like just like basically the basis of like my entire being was formed during middle school of just being like drenched in shame. And so by the time I went to high school, I was like, I'm going to assimilate. I'm going to be a cheerleader and I'll listen to all my weird music in my bedroom. And that's it. I won't tell anyone any of my weird stuff. How'd that work out? Oh my God. I was like the most like suppressed child. Like the most, like I was so suppressed and I would still end up dressing really weird to school. I had like, I developed like an eating disorder. I like just like would like stay in my room for like all of the weekend and just like listen to like such strange music compared to my friends. And then finally I went to like a summer camp one, one summer for math classes. And I like started dating the first boy who ever said he liked me, who he dumped me to go to rehab for oxycodone. So Oops. <laughs> and I think that all stems from shame though of like, just and, and that's why I like cult movies though, because I'm like, oh, I understand wanting to jump on ship for like the first thing that accepts you. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> feeling, you know, feeling like a misfit, feeling like an outcast, and and anything that provides you with some sense of uh, community is super appealing. You know, I, I had yeah. a kind of a similar uh, experience growing up, just being kind of a weird, artsy, nerdy kid, and and being in this weird uh a sort of cultural uh black hole uh growing up in a small midwestern town it's sort of in between big cultural waves like it, you know i was going to high school after kurt cobain was already dead and yeah. so my fashion sense was just uh this weird confusion of of like grunge and Molgoth and and raver and <laughs> like just all over the place because i didn't really know like i just knew that those were like the sort of alternative groups uh around my high school and those were who i gravitated towards because they were the ones who like weren't uh accosting me and and making fun of me and calling me a faggot and whatever like you know that was that was just like those were the only people who were nice to me but like it was like all the weird kids who gathered on the sidewalk across from the school and smoked cigarettes and I didn't smoke cigarettes but I hung out with them because they were like nice to me and they knew who Kurt Cobain was and I thought that was (laughs) exciting you know like it's it's really hard and i'm not friends with like any of them now but i mean nobody's friends with anybody who they're you know went to high school with but the girls i hung out with are all still friends you're you're still friends with all your high school people i'm not i'm not not. the cheerleaders i hung out with like all those girls are still friends they live in manhattan sad they they i saw them during my reunion and uh 
it was a wild experience. You went to your reunion? It was in Manhattan. And I was like, I'm just going to take an edible and go to my reunion. It'll be really funny. Um, Because I'm friends with like a couple of people, but we weren't friends in high school. I'm friends with certain people that we became friends after. Mm. Uh, Because I'm also like from a time where like we were all on Facebook still, you know, like all this stuff. Like, so like I reconnected with people because we were like, oh, we had a lot of similarities. We just weren't friends in high school. Yeah. Um, So there's that. But I did go on an edible and I saw the girls and they're, they're still friends. They're like. It's it's really crazy. Like That's there's nuts. this group of people that were like athletes and cheerleaders, and like they all like they all are just uh, hanging out. Which like a couple of like a bunch of them are still like dating each other. Like a couple are engaged. Yeah. Like it um, it's really weird. There it's weird to me because nobody in my life right now knew me. Like nobody in my life that I see all the time knew me when I was sixteen. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm still friends with some of my friends from high school, but they don't live here. You know, I'm from the Midwest, so you you grew up here? I grew up in Jersey. You grew up in Jersey, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it was, I definitely don't have, like, any, and that's a whole other thing about, like, when I've been, like, releasing, like, moments of shame the past few years, like, through therapy and through writing and all this stuff, is, like, I used to be really, like, oh, my big secret was that I was a cheerleader in high school, where it's like, now I'm like, oh, I don't actually feel like, because it like knocks off cool credits on my card or something. <laughs> but like, yeah. I I don't, I don't have like any regrets or like shame about how I grew up and like became like a young adult. I think that like, I, I think that I'm glad I was friends with those people because I don't know how else I would have survived high school, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, like, I needed to stay, like, socially afloat so I can, like, go into my bedroom and, like, cut out photos of Connor Oberst and glue them tomorrow. You know, like- <laughs> oh, boy. You just hit a nerve. I'm from Nebraska. Oh, so my he's, God. like, our guy. He is your guy. And we would, my all of my friends and I who were, like, in bands and stuff, they would just sort of, like, make fun of Connor Oberst and, and talk about how he's, like, such a sissy and... Um, you know, he used to like shut up and buy a distortion pedal and blah, blah, blah. And then like, I would be like, yeah, fuck that guy. (laughs) And then I'd like go listen to Bright Eyes in my (laughs) room by myself all the time because I loved it. Yeah. Um, Because I could, yeah, like most of my friends, I couldn't really, uh, as, as close with them as I was, uh, I don't think I could, felt like I could really share like how uh sad I was all the time um with them and 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 I felt like uh he got it on some level um he he did I I really believe that like there is something about like that's like the only thing that like saved me which is why I like went to school for music was I used to do this like every Saturday morning for like three to four hours go to this choir and there was this record shop down the street and I would like like I remember going there and I went to buy probably like some I don't even remember what CD I went in to buy, but the guy handed me a La Tigre album and the cover was like, it's like bright, it's feminist sweepstakes and it's like bright pink with like blue bubble letters. Mm-hmm. And then like, after I got that, I was like on like a whole different like wave of like, oh, like there are certain people who are like singing about anger that I don't even know why I have that anger, you know? So like, 
all of that stuff is like definitely stuff I would like listen to. My first concert, my cousin who still lives in New York, he's a doctor actually. Um, but he took me to our first concert when I was like 13 and it was like the AAS opening up for Sonic Youth. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. I've seen both of them not together. Um, but have you gone back and listened to Bright Eyes like recently? Oh my God. I did actually this whole week. Oh God. Being at home and like in my room and doing like weird crafts and like cutting my hair mm -hmm. and like wearing my weird clothes that like I don't need to worry about people seeing just reminds me of being 16 again. And I keep listening to like trying to go back and be like, what did I used to listen to when I was at home all the time? Yeah. And I tried to listen. I can't really listen to like a full album of his the way I used to. I can't either. It's so like the songwriting's there, but like all of the fucking pretentious ass like tape noise and skits and shit that yeah. he puts in there just make the albums so unfucking listenable like, i know just as a whole and that that frustrated me even when i was a kid too it was just like just play the music don't go into this shit like nobody cares yeah but, you know but you have to, you have to be that like indulgent to even like get that shit out because it's Exactly. Like, that's like 100% what it was, too. And I think when I was younger, I like didn't mind as much. But I also like if I had a friend in the car, I wouldn't like pop in a bright eye CD. No, hell no. I didn't do I didn't <laughs> listen to it in front of anybody. Fuck no. I, I would sometimes when I was like older in high school, the older I got, and then the more I was like, okay, I'm in the cool kids group. I'm here. Like, they're not going to kick me out. I'm going to start like, like, openly listening to my weirder music. And especially once I got a car and stuff like, it, I did have like a level of comfort of like, oh yeah, socially I'm sailing. Like so that, now that, that first generation iPod. Oh my god! I actually never. First or second I didn't generation have an iPod. iPod. I didn't have an iPod. You know what I had? Fevers and mirrors and shit. I had I had a Zoom. You had a oh boy. <laughs> so you were on the you were on the B squad of of MP3 players. <laughs> I remember opening the box and I was like, oh Zoom. Oh great. <laughs> Yeah. Great. This I don't think I ever awesome. even saw one of those. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I don't, we had, I, I at least was cool enough to have an iPod. I had like the second with the red, uh, with the red, like, uh, buttons on it, like the four yeah, yeah, buttons, yeah. you know? Um, like I had that generation. That was the first I one I got and I was CD so player. fucking stoked. I had a portable CD player until my senior year. Wow. And I, I graduated high school in 2009, so like iPods were definitely out by then for a while. And I was like, yeah. I have this CD player that I like decorated, and oh, uh, then I got a Zoom my senior year of high school. It was like a big moment for me. Last <laughs> summer, I got really depressed, and uh, I'm not even really sure why. It's just like that's that's the that's the fun part about you know having mental health uh, issues is when something really bad's going on. You're like, I miss being sad for no reason. I know, I was just talking about this today. I literally was just messaging someone today and was like, all of January, half of February, I couldn't stop crying. This whole time I haven't like fully cried yet, but yeah. I like, I miss feeling this dark about things that didn't matter as much. It's it's weird, cause it's like, uh, you know, I, I miss that and I'm frustrated with that, that I, that I wasted so much time when things were, uh, relatively good and normal uh yeah. you know just feeling feeling shitty 
But then, you know, when bad things do happen, like I remember after the election in 2016 and, and, and like now, um, you know, just, just sort of looking through my, my friend's social media and just being like, well, 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 welcome, <laughs> welcome to how I am. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's funny and vindicating in a way. But um, all this to say, I was listening to, I, I tried to go back and listen to Bright Eyes like last summer and I, I, I can barely do it. It's nostalgic. That's like all I can say yeah. for it now. It's just, it doesn't, it just doesn't, it doesn't hit the same. But there is some good, I've been finding some good nostalgic music that still holds up. Like, uh, what else is on my playlist? I've been listening to like a lot of the replacements. Mm -hmm. as Elliot Smith like, holds up. Uh, Elliot Smith definitely holds Elliot up. Elliot Smith so holds the fuck up. He's, he's, still, he's so good. He's so good. See, but he doesn't do that same shit Connor does though. Connor Burst will like do those like weird tape things at the beginning that we're saying like, yeah, Elliot that's Smith what, that's why I think he's better. He's just a better, yeah. he's a better musician. He, he just made yeah. a song that is yeah. listenable and doesn't like go into this, like this long fucking stupid intro for 20 minutes before he gets to it. And like cut out halfway through the song or like, you just start screaming halfway <laughs> through. Like I get it. You know, you're feeling your shit, but yeah, you know, come on. It, but that was a moment when I was into him was also when I was like really into the Decemberist and like other music that was like, kind of like, like what's happening. Like, precious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, Super, I, I, I will now and again think about the Decemberists, um, and just be like, what was? Because it's so, it's just like such a frozen moment in time, or it's just like I don't think, I think they just dropped off the map in like 2005, and and just nobody ever heard from them again, and just they were like all the shit, they were like all the rage for for that amount of time, and then they just and then they just vanished. Well, they did a reunion concert at Prospect Park in like 2013, and I went with like these girls that I met at summer camp. Like we went together because we're like, remember when we were really into this? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just it, what happened. I don't know. I don't know. I don't Jeff know. Mangum. We we really yeah. Jeff Mangum came out of hiding, endorsed <laughs> Bernie. Oh yeah. That was exciting. That was that happened. That was just like a month ago. That's, oh how, my God, that's how that fucked feels... up this has been this whole time. Like, that wasn't even that long ago. That feels like seven months ago. Yeah. I'm just having a moment where I really was about to say that was so long ago. Nope. <clears throat> that was fairly recent, actually. I just saw on Twitter that, like, uh, Mayor Pete dropped out, like, at the beginning of this month. <laughs> We're recording this on, the, was it the last day of March or second to last day of March? The 30th? Yeah. Yeah, yeah today's the 30th. So yeah, it's um, it's it's what a fucking insane time. It's what a what a year this month has been. I know. Um, so talk a little bit about your books. Um yeah, so uh, I self print these initially started off as like a zine of sorts, and um, the first one is called Boys of Kiss Can Hate It. It's also the name of my most recent one as well. But the first one I just basically had left this relationship. And I was kind of like, I don't know. I just kept kind of like romantically like flailing and failing. And I, I just, I just didn't know who I was as like a person and without a relationship because I had gone from like two serious relationships one after the other. And uh, at that point I was like, well, all of my adult life I've been in these like two relationships. I've never like thought about like 
one night stands or letting myself, I just, I just was trying to find something to grasp onto. Um, and also like catalog, like everybody I, I, I literally wrote a poem about every single person I had kissed. Cause at that point, when I first wrote the first one, um, I was able to count every single person I had kissed. Now it's been many years and so I can no longer do that. But, uh, and then I sent out the poems to a bunch of women and the whole book is a poem and then a piece of art created by a woman who read the poem and wrote like like made something inspired off the poem and I thought it was like a joke at first because I was kind of like isn't this funny I like am writing these poems um and they're not really poems because I'm not a writer and then everyone was kind of like actually I really loved this and I sold like 200 copies of them kind of a lot when you're like doing it on your own yeah with the first <laughs> self-published that's pretty good yeah and so I was like maybe this is something I can do. I don't really know. And so I kept writing and doing like small versions. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to like now no longer do it like a zine. I'm going to make it look like an actual book, but still do it on my own. And so I wrote this book, Emotional Slut. And it's more about like, um, I it's more just about like moving through healing through trauma. Um, and so I wrote that and then it ended up, I sent it to the printer and I forgot I sent it to the printer and two days later, my best friend passed away. And then the book came into my hands and it was like a really strange moment because I only kept writing because he was like someone who was like reading my writing and like helping me through it a little bit. Like he was just like, he purchased like the first copy of Voice of Kissed and Hated and all this stuff. And uh, I was like posting up at art book fair and then I ended up selling through all my copies emotional slut pretty quickly and while I was like finding it hard to like go out and do shows I was finding it easier to like sit and write so then I reused the title boys I've kissed and hated and the late so that's the latest book and uh, each chapter is one of the stages of grief um, so it catalogs a, a lot of like memories and romanticism both in relationships like even friendship there's like a lot of romanticism um and then it's it's kind of there's moments where it's really dark like there's moments where like we both are having an amazing time together but we're both also experiencing like a really deeply depressing moment and like what that feels like to be like really deep in depression but having like an amazing time with your friend who's also deep in depression and like what that means and feels like um so there's like some texts from him. There's like a lot of like what I call memory writing. So like longer form narratives about memories. The same year he passed away, I also got surgery on my uterus. So I like also talk about like that and like the resurfacing of body issues and all these things. But it's also still about like when you're going through all these things, how you're still like weirdly hooking up with people. <laughs> like you can still go on a bad date and be grieving. Like life doesn't take like a pause for that really. Yeah. <laughs> um, unless you allow it to, which I didn't want to um, because my whole project is like what happens if I think an automatic response to sexual trauma is to like never never do anything sexual ever again like your body closes up and like i didn't want to do that because i was it happened to me in my early 20s and i don't i wanted to keep living in my 20s like not like not like stop life because of like the trauma that happened so what i did was just be like now i'm just gonna be okay with like the bad dates and i'm gonna write about it and i'm gonna make it funny and that's where i take agency so the book still has a lot about that but it is um 
it is definitely mapped through uh, grief and like losing a best friend and like coming out as queer and thinking about that. And yeah, but it's still like, it's really funny and stupid and silly because of how I write, but it, it, it's, it's not like a book that's like light. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about your friend. I, I, I think I, I heard you mention that on stage uh, some time ago um, as well. That's, that's super rough, but um, you know, going through something like that um, and trying to stay in the creative process, that's, that's challenging. That's really hard. Yeah. So. yeah I mean, we met, we met like, he's like, basically I met him in an improv class and I was just taking the improv class to like have an activity. Cause I had been like working full-time job. I was like in this relationship. Like I was only hanging out with my partner's friends and I took a class just to be like, this is my thing. And then I met this guy and then he was like, we have to be friends. You have to keep performing. And then we took another class together and then we ended up moving in together as he was helping me out of my relationship. And as I was starting comedy. Wow. So this yeah. Is, yeah, this was a really important person. Yeah. So like everything, he even moved me into this apartment, like everything in my current life is like, back to this like moment in a 201 class where he like was like we have to be friends yeah those sorts of friendships come along very um very seldomly when there is just yeah. sort of a, a connection with somebody immediately um and uh you know and, and an enthusiasm uh you know to, towards towards the friendship um i uh I've had just very few of those um, because for whatever reason, you know, this is probably my own issue is uh, it's hard for me to, uh, I don't know, assert my existence and feel like I actually am a person and that other people uh, see me and hear me and, and talk to me. So, um, so far as making friends and people wanting to uh, see me and, and talk to me and be friends with me, that just is a uh an alien concept to somebody who who just feels so much of the time i feel just like i'm just this sort of like floating orb and i just i just go through life and i'm invisible and um and i'm just observing everything around me mm -hmm. so <clears throat> you know uh when somebody makes you feel like you're a real person uh that's that's huge yeah yeah, it's really crazy. But like it it also like it's 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 also like a validating experience to like meet someone like that, but it shows you that it's not like the last experience you'll have like that is something that that has taught me. Especially like when he passed away and everything, like he, I feel like there was a moment when I was like, "Well, I lost the like one person who like saw me, but like quite the opposite has happened the past like year and a half." Um, there's it, like, I think that there's like a ripple effect that happened, at least in my case of like, I thought he was the only person who saw and felt and like validated me in a certain way. And then when he passed away, there was like a ripple effect of like a bunch of people coming out of the woodworks to be like, hi, like, 
I'm not that person um, and I don't care for you in the same way because no one ever can or will, but there's like a, like a lot of waves of people around you that can like not fill a hole, but like provide a care that you didn't think could ever exist again. Yeah. I mean, that must've felt, that must've felt just amazing to have people reach out to you like that. Yeah, it, it was, it's, it's really crazy. I mean, and it's like one of those things that like, it's one of the things that also is still keeping me afloat, like right now in this moment, like that happened September, 2018. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then everyone was like, oh shit, she lives alone. She lives really far away. She's like already a highly depressive person that doesn't know how to leave her house. <laughs> and she's super eccentric and like weird. What are we gonna do? And people rallied around. And then with all of this happening, the amount of people are like, hey, I know you live alone. What do you need? What's going on? You lost your books for a job. Like people, um, people will like check in on you if you're also like open to sharing things about you. Like a lot of my friends are like know me really well and are like, "Have you spoken to someone today? Have, like, what have you eaten today? Like, let's video chat. Let's plan activities. Like, let's do all these things." And like, I don't think if this sort of happened like years ago, I would ever think that that amount of people would be doing that for me and it is it is because I'm alone and like like a like a problem child <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a broken like a broken little girl out here like people were like are you gonna quarantine somewhere and people were also like well you probably wouldn't want to quarantine anywhere because all five million of your books and weird crafts are in your apartment so like what does that mean it means that I have to be like checked in on it means that like my mom has to like call me and be like, you know, like, do you have this and this? So like, I'm not like helpless. I'm not trying to pick, like portray myself as helpless because I also check in on people a lot. But um, I also think that uh, sharing your mental health state with your friends used to be really shameful for me and embarrassing. Mm. But um, when the older I get and the more real experiences I've had, the more beneficial it has been for me to be like, hey, I'm probably going to be really upset if I don't talk to one person a day. Um, so, like, if you could, like, shoot me a text. And people not even in the city, like, I have a friend in New Orleans who, like, checks in on me. So it's like, and they and they do the same for me. My friend, like, we all do that for each other. And I think that the older we get, the less shame. Like, if I were to do this in high school, I'd be really embarrassed to be like, hey, can you just, like, call me? What um what moved you into that? What moved you away from? Because uh, that's huge and that's really hard and 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 like I still deal with that too. Just uh, feeling like uh, a burden to people, uh, especially since uh, so much of uh, dealing with you know ongoing mental health, depression, anxiety mm -hmm. stuff, it doesn't really fully go away. It's chronic no, and yeah. follows you through your whole life and mutates and you know, just kind of keeps tracking you like the T-1000. So yeah. like, um, moving past feeling like a burden is really hard. And is, is the reason that a lot of people don't ever get help for, for what they, uh, are dealing with. So, um, yeah. what, what helped you get past that? Literally when my friend passed away, I was like, I have no other option, but to ask for help. Like I, I had no other option but to do that. Like if I didn't ask for help, like I, I don't know what would have happened to me, but like I literally had to have like a friend like 
sleep in my apartment with me that first night. And like, I had to like, she, there's like my one friend, Mary Kate, who I would like just crash at her. I would be like, I can't do anything tonight, but I also can't go out. And I don't know. And I can't be alone. Like, what do I do? And then she would just have me at her apartment and I'd like sleep in the living room. Like that is, and so it's only been a year and a half. And that's why like this experience has been like, Hey, I need you to call me. Can you like, or Hey, do you need me to call you? What do you need? Like, it's not, it's not a one way street. Like most of my friends are, I think also I have a lot of crazy friends. Sure. <laughs> so we're all, yeah. And like, I, I say that in the sense that I'm crazy too. So like if I have a circle of, I think finally as an adult, I have reached the point where all of my friends are eccentric and I'm eccentric as well. And I don't have shame in being like, I feel really sad today. Can you call me? Yeah. And then we'll spend the time. And I think that when I used to hang out with my ex and his friends, like they, it wasn't like that. And I think the conversation around mental health is changing. So that's a whole other thing. But that's true. I've had more than one guest come on this show and uh, say that they're hesitant to use the word crazy. And I'm like, dude, you can like, you're one of us. I, I have you on here because you're crazy. Yeah. I'm crazy. Yeah. That's our word. We can use it. It's okay. Like everybody listening to this understands that we, you know, what we're talking about. So. And I'm also not using it in a negative way. Like all of my best friends are crazy. Like, like I have, friends who like we and we're okay with it like even when we all video chat like we're all like comedians and writers and if we're like not the people like making art then we're people who like a lot of my friends are also like musicians and people who work for like nonprofits that don't get paid shit but are doing like important work right like across the spectrum like you have to be crazy to do a lot of the things that my friends are out here doing um and I think that that's just like what has happened in the past few years has been like, I've just formulated a circle that we have a mutual understanding and a back and forth of like, I'm going to ask you for what I need and you're going to like ask me for what you need to. But it's, it's, it literally, when you go through grief, you realize that there's like, you have no other option but to ask for what you need because everybody deals with grief really differently. So some people need, you to make sure they eat every day some people need you to just be in the room when they're sleeping some people need you to just go the, go away and you don't know what to do unless somebody tells you and so i had to tell people what i needed um what has been your experience with therapy are you in therapy now right now i it's such a crazy experience now too so i was i was going to therapy and then i had to switch over insurances Ugh. um and then I was doing, I do like a lot of like, I'm like not embarrassed to use like one of those online services because. No, those work okay. Yeah. Talkspace, uh, BetterHelp, yeah. those are all shout out. Those are all great. I think they're, I think they're totally fine. I will say it's not a perfect system and it's really hard for me to find a therapist. Um, and I was in the midst of finding a new one, but now I don't know what my insurance is going to change or look like with me losing that job. Yeah. Um, but I was using Talkspace and then a whole other thing is like, I think that therapy is always really beneficial, but like, I think having like knowledge and reading certain books for me, for me, like that's been like my process. So I'll read a lot of things like All About Love by Bell Hooks or like Pleasure Activism. Um, I read a lot of like cultural studies books um, in terms of mental health. I don't, I'm not really into like self-help books per se, mm -hmm. but like things like, um, 
things like those two books I just mentioned have helped me like navigate and map like how I think about my mental health and how I navigate um, myself socially and to like not be as hard on myself. So in in the middle of like going to therapy and using talk space and all that stuff, it's hard to find somebody stable when you're, when you don't have a full-time job. Yeah. Books can be really good. Books can be super helpful. There's, there's good ones. But also most therapists on like the, uh, on like the New York state health insurance ones, like they don't even have openings. Yeah. You can't even go see them. It's been weird. I, so I go through, uh, Columbia, they have a, um, it's like basically a training program uh, for their their like uh, their PhD program. So everybody there, they already have an MD. They're getting their PhD in psychotherapy, um, and so it's free. Uh, the catch is you have to go all the way up to 168th. Um, so, but they're they're doing remote sessions now, and uh, so like it's 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 been a it's been yeah it's been a whole weird toss up. Uh, uh, situation for me to, um, during, during all of this conveniently, um, because my, my main therapist is already like, she was out, she's having a baby. So I'm, I have like a fill in who's only doing like monthly sessions. So that's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all nuts. A monthly 45 minute session is clinical. Like that's yeah. ins- like what I need to see someone. I'm almost like, I used to see someone once a week for a half hour. And even that didn't feel enough. And then I was like, okay, I'm switching insurances. So now it's the time for me to like find someone who'll do like 45 minutes, which isn't like a huge yeah. leap, but maybe 15 will do something. And I just like couldn't find anyone who was like taking new clients. And so I just like mainly used a lot of like online things. And then I was like, what if I just like read a lot of things in terms of how to navigate? Like Sarah Ahmed writes a lot of really good books and stuff. But one of the things that she's working on right now is complaint as like a feminist strategy so um and that's really helped me how she's like speaking up for your needs aka complaining in like the workplace and the university in any space um is actually like a form of social justice and how like we all need to be like okay with like speaking up and it's like a really hard thing to do yeah. uh so a very watered down version but like reading stuff like that is like something that i'm almost like oh this is helping me mentally process things. Um, so, I mean, if, if I'm unable to get a therapist, I just like start to like binge read certain things. Um, yeah. Like I'll read like a bunch of like Audre Lorde poems and it's not a substitution, but it, we don't live in a space where our mental health is prioritized. So we have to kind of hodgepodge no. it together. Turns um, out we don't live in a space where our physical health is prioritized either. We're sort yeah, of, uh, human- seems like we're kind our- of on our own here. Yeah, exactly. And, and we say we're on our own, but then at the same time, like, uh, I have friends who are like sex educators who like help lead me towards um, good things to read. I have like, communities of people who we like group text and group email and think about that as like a form of therapy. So in the traditional sense, finding a therapist for me has been a very just so difficult in New York. Like it's so difficult and it sucks. Um, But I'm trying not to be in a negative headspace. So I like to be like, but here's my like therapy alternatives. And I never say, and I say this in my stand-up class too. I'm like, 
that I teach, like, uh, performing and writing is not a substitute for therapy. It can be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes people are like, is that how you process? And I'm like, no, I process by, like, going on Talkspace and talking to a stranger. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's hard. I don't know. It's it, And people are going to need therapy uh, in the ensuing year, like, more than ever. And that's, you know, th there's, there's just such a void, um, for that, for that demand. Yeah, dude, what's going to happen? It's so scary. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, there's people are, people are going to walk away from this with fresh trauma and it's going to be like, I mean, this is, you know, I've been saying this, this is like watching nine 11 unfold over the course of, you know, a year, like yeah. it's, it's just very slow. Um, but it's going to be just as devastating and just as uh, just world changing, life changing um, yeah. for, for everybody, you know? So um, it's, it's really hard to know um, because you have to just keep sort of like living your life uh, on a day to day basis and, and taking care of stuff. Um, yeah. And you can really only uh, pay attention and, and read about it so much before it's, you're, you're really just uh, hurting yourself. You know, and yeah. um, somebody who's kind of a Twitter addict, um, it, th there's there's like a certain amount of time. I've really considered getting like a, a screen time, you know, limiter, like an app limiter for, for Twitter, especially just because it's just yeah. like, like, what am I still doing scrolling through Twitter, uh, reading all this like horrific shit about like people's accounts of, 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 of symptoms or of losing people or of projections of how many people are going to die. It's like 10 o'clock, like turn it off. Like you're not going to learn yeah. anything new today. But that's why I like watching, like when my coworker or like ex coworker gave me his password to the criterion collection, I was like, Oh cool. And then when I actually came down to it, I was like, oh, okay, I'm watching like a two hour movie. I'm just like not even looking at Twitter and stuff that same way. Yeah, I, I just uh, plug my phone in and just put it in the next room and just like walk away from it. That's kind of yeah. the only way because it'll it'll find its way into my hand if it's if it's anywhere near my person. It's bad. Yeah. Um, well, um, I can I can uh, help you out maybe with some more uh, passwords uh, to other streaming <laughs> services. We'll, 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 we'll talk later about all that <laughs> stuff. Um, in the meantime, uh, this was this was super great. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Um, I mean, honestly, nothing I would have, not, I don't, I'm writing a new book, but it's, uh, everything is up in the air. So right. nothing to plug. You can follow me at A-R-T-I-P-A-R-T-Y on, on like Twitter and Instagram. Right. That's what I'll, yeah. <laughs> Good enough. Well, thank you Good so enough. much. Um, hang yeah, in there. I hope I hope that everything uh, you know is 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 working out um, you. for you. And uh, you know, let me know if if you need anything. We're you know, thank as you. service workers, we're all sort of in this uh, I together. I know, like I haven't even been able to apply for unemployment because the site's been just it's been crashing. Down. Yeah, it's crash. It's, it crashes every time, um, and yeah. nobody's talking about this. So maybe this is one thing that uh, we should talk about before we go. Um, New York unemployment site is. Uh, completely crashing. It's. Yeah. I, I looked at the uh, the help section and read that it's optimized to work for Internet Explorer and Netscape. 
yeah. Netscape. And <laughs> so like the whole site is janky to begin with, uh, much less, you know, with like, I don't know, 10 times the amount of people, like 10 times the amount of traffic as usual. Um, and the phone line is fucked too. Like all it, it hangs up on you. Is it, yeah. like, it, it either hangs up on me or I get through a couple of rounds of like entering info and then it hangs up. So like it's, well, it's, it's we're fucked. It has a time limit on how long you can be on hold, it seems like. Because it hung up on me twice, but it was like, I just, I've never actually gone through to a person. It doesn't even, it doesn't even let me get onto the hold. It says we have too many people calling us right now. All of our agents are busy and just hangs up. Call back later or go to our website. And I'm like, oh, go to your website, huh? Like, that's it. So, yeah. Um patreon.com slash self worst let me just plug <laughs> that really quick uh if you want to if you want to help a guy out um but yeah um all this to say you know um we have been abandoned by our uh by our government and we need to band together as people because that's the only way we're getting through this sure. all right well thank you so much um yeah, no i'll uh, i'll let you know when i'm dropping all of this but uh yeah. take care of yourself all right yeah, take care too. Bye. Right, bye. Thanks once again to Arthi Galapudi for coming on the show. Um, check her out on Instagram and Twitter. You know, hopefully once all of this is over and uh, things, you know, begin to return to normal, um, go check her out if you live in the New York area. Um, we'll see when, when that happens. Um, fuck, I don't know, man. Look, we're all... Uh, we're all... We're all dealing with this day at a time, right? Um, so, music is by Shay Bartell. Thank you, Shay. Hope you are doing well. If you would like to contribute to the show financially, um, that would be super awesome. I am no longer working. Um, the New York State Unemployment site is uh, not functioning correctly. It's been just absolutely uh, bogged down, overwhelmed. Um, it's a shitty site to begin with, and, and now uh, it's just been completely overwhelmed, and uh, the phone lines are down, so I haven't even been able to get benefits. Um, a couple of my uh, cool-ass dog-walking clients um, have been helping me out, um, have been uh, continuing to pay me even though I'm not walking right now, uh, which has been super cool. Um, some friends of mine have been helping me. Um, but, uh, you know, I know that we are all in a very uncertain time, but if you can, if you are able to, uh, please consider donating to patreon.com slash self worst. Um, and you know, we're all, um, I, I, we're all in this together. And, uh, I know a lot of the people who listen to this are also, uh, service workers, uh, working class folks who have, who have probably, uh, lost a lot of their income, if not all of it. So um, if you can't make a contribution at this time, I 100% get it. That is okay. Um, this is this is all for you. And um, I, uh, I thank you for listening. If you would like to uh, help the show non-financially, uh, if you can't um, help us out on Patreon, uh, please uh, go to iTunes and rate and review us. That gets more ears to the show. Um, that's it. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't go outside. Uh, sanitize your doorknobs and shit. Um, and until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Mm-hmm.